Hi, this is Max at Muso. Muso is an anti-piracy company. We work with all different types of industries from film to TV to VOD to music to software. And while doing that, while working to secure, protect rights holders' content online, we wind up examining and studying a huge, huge, huge amount of data about audience activity and unlicensed audience activity and piracy online. So I'm here to discuss some of the changes we've seen in the past two months specifically since the enormous shift post-pandemic happened where so many more people started living and working online 24-7. So to discuss some of the patterns in data that we've found, I've got our founder here, Andy, Andy Chatterley. Hi, Max. Um, yeah, before we, we start to go into the data, maybe it's a good idea to just give a little bit of background about Muso. Um, and how we started the company. As, as you know, I was previously a record producer and a songwriter, um, and I worked consistently in the music industry for a very long time, over, over 25 years, maybe more. Um, and it was, it was when I was working on one record, and that leaked to piracy about 10 days before the release date. And I turned to the industry to, to try and get some help with that, you know, release, we were going for a, a decent chart position and, and we're very concerned because, you know, there were pirate copies everywhere. And there was just nothing that could help me. There was no, you know, useful trade body or external company that could help me deal with the problem. And as a consequence, um, myself and, and the co-founders came up with a solution and, and founded and, and started Musa way back in 2010 to deal with the problem. Obviously now our solution has grown somewhat and um, as well as protecting content, we have a, a very large data analytics platform and we expanded out from music to software and eBooks and publishing and, and films and television. And I think with COVID-19, where we're really starting to see early data indications is around film and TV piracy. Well, I think that's, perfect, both as an introduction to really where Muso came from, and uh, you know that's the segue to what we're discussing today, in that you've seen some interesting effects, some very fast-moving effects, as, as just as recently as you know late February, let alone March, um, in terms of the changes to online activity that, that have followed this massive shift of people living indoors. So maybe we can start there and, and tell me a bit about, uh, about what Muso has shown you. Yeah. Um, so if we, if we just focus mainly at the moment on film and television, anecdotally, if, we, if you think about it logically, all the cinemas in the regions that have been affected by, by coronavirus, by COVID-19, all, all of the cinemas in those regions have closed down. People as we know from our own experience in, in the UK and, and the USA or wherever you're listening, are also working from home and social distancing. So people are staying at home and cinemas are closed. So last week, I think we saw Netflix um, reduce um, their, their, their buffering sizes to deal with demand in Europe. So demand for digital services, as we all see with Zoom and Slack and Google Hangouts, um, is increasing. What's also increasing, it looks like quite significantly, is piracy. Because inevitably, if people can't go to the cinema, they still want to see the latest release. 
um, that they might have seen at the cinema, but now it appears they may well be turning to piracy. Now, anecdotally, I think it's it's fairly obvious that that's, that's going to happen. Um, the data that we're seeing, especially in January for China, is, is, is quite interesting. Um, when we look at um, sort of growth of film and TV towards the end of January, the 22nd, 23rd, when the lockdown came into, into um, law, when the authorities put the lockdown in Wuhan, we're starting to see some quite significant increases um, in data. Now, over that weekend, which also coincided with the Chinese New Year, so there's definitely some bias within that, but we saw uh, an increase of 89%. Now, in that period of time, 50 million people were essentially locked down. But the data is interesting, and the data is pointing to validate the anecdotal evidence that, that, you know, that we would presume to be seeing. The thing that jumps out at me is that by some measures you were mentioning, a jump of nearly, uh, a nearly doubling of activity in a very short amount of time. Has this ever happened? Have you ever seen a comparable change in all the time you've been monitoring this uh, this set of audiences. Um, so, so the way Muso look at piracy, we look at it in two different ways. We look at um, we we term it piracy by industry, and essentially what we mean is how piracy um, acts on a global scale, broken down by media industry. So we can look at film and TV, we can look at music, we can look at software, etc. And and then we can see, you know. Has that gone up in Europe? Has that gone down in Japan over a period of time? And so when we look at that kind of piracy or piracy activity from that view, we see different spikes. We see spikes at weekends. We see spikes um, over holiday periods. So, you know, Christmas or, or Easter or, you know, di- different, different kind of periods where people are away from home will traditionally see those spikes. So it's difficult to say whether we've seen anything to this level, unless we we looked in great detail across all of the data, but I think I think what's interesting here is it's an unprecedented unprecedented global event um, for people to be locked at home the whole time. You know, we don't need to talk about the significant impact it's had on the financial market. So it's it's also difficult for us to know at this point way beyond China, and also our data is a little restricted in China because of the Great Firewall. But yeah, early indications would 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 point to the fact that this is going to be an extreme, you know, event of piracy activity and the data is going to increase dramatically. When, when we look at certain key titles and we compare um, January to February, there are some interesting stats as well. I mean, you know, this is to a certain degree, this, this could always happen in any month. But I think it's the nature of the titles that we're looking at and, and the dramatic growth that's quite interesting. So if I look at... Um, Contagion, the 2011 film about uh, a pandemic spreading yeah. from Hong Kong. Streaming visits um, from in February compared to January increased by 151%. Um, when we look at pandemic from 2013, again, streaming visits increased by 240% from February to January in China. So, you know, it, all the trends that we're looking at are pointing to the fact that people are at home they want to consume content. They're going to consume it any way they can, whether that's you know a licensed video on demand platform or an unlicensed video on demand platform such as piracy. Um, I also. 
do not think it's any coincidence that one of the major piracy sites um, or apps called Popcorn Time relaunched again um, the week before last. And, you know, it's it's fairly significant. In fact, I think they launched with a tweet that said, love in the time of lockdown or, or something along those lines. And, you know, it, it's, it's no doubt sparked a big um, increase in piracy. They sensed an opportunity. One would presume. Well, let me ask you, uh, with a slightly different frame, you know, we're talking about the enormous shifts in the short term. What about the long term? Would your, uh, I, this isn't something that the data can necessarily predict with any level of, you know, absolute, absolute clarity. But in your experience, what's your sense of this being a mix of new versus existing um, piracy users? To what extent are you seeing an uptick in people who were using these channels uh, and now have you know more reason to access them, maybe some content that they would normally download legally just isn't available, compared to how many new downloaders are entering the ecosystem? And might this be habit-forming in the long term? Might this change audience activity in the long term? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, this is, again, purely anecdotal rather than data yet because it's a little early for us to look to look with any certainty at that. But from an anecdotal view, if the cinemas are closed and you're stuck at home with the kids over Easter and, you know, you, you want to have a brief respite from from whatever they're doing looking on google to find you know whichever blockbuster kids movie they wanted to see at the cinema would in principle within a, a, a you know a click or two give you the film streaming from your computer that, that keeps your kids entertained for a few hours so the, the question is whether that becomes habit forming and whether people will even, you know, whether people even know that that's illegal or that's piracy, I think, is a, is a whole other question. But if you discover um, Sonic the Hedgehog, as I, I recently used in, in a Forbes article, if you discover that film accidentally on purpose looking, you know, looking for a film on Google, then perhaps that is the gateway into a whole host of other, you know, other um, piracy titles, which perhaps becomes habit-forming. I mean, it's very difficult to know with... With, with certainty at this point. But yeah, I suspect, you know, I think there is a there's a misconception to a certain degree that, that piracy is sort of, you know, confined to 18 to 25 year old, you know, males downloading content from their bedroom to fill up hard drives. And, yeah. you know, our data has always pointed to that, to that not being the case, to the demographic being quite wide and it would depend on content and depend on kind of method that people are accessing piracy for. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the, the whole situation that we find ourselves in globally, or in fact, I think as of, as of, as of last week, one third of the global population is currently in lockdown. Um, you know, it's, it's just inevitable that that's going to lead to people finding things on Google that, you know, perhaps on the official way of watching something. It really is no longer 2002 or 2006 when it comes to uh, the channels that piracy appears on, I suppose. No, no, it doesn't. I, um, you know, and it's not just film and TV. I spoke to a friend of mine um, 
who, who will remain nameless. And we were talking about what they were doing. And, and he told me I'd been downloading loads of books that he wanted to catch up on. And, right. I, and you know, and I said, oh, oh you do, you're doing that on Kindle. And he said, no, I just went on Google. And I found, I found a one click link to, to a whole host of books that I was really interested in reading. So I've just been doing that, you know, and, I, and, and his intention is not to be stealing from the authors, you know, and the publishers whose books he's downloading from. But, but ultimately, he's sort of not aware of that. You know, he's just clicked on a link on Google and he's accessing content illegally for free. And, you know, it's that casual type of stumbling across piracy that, that, that may well become habit forming. Yeah. Now that, that does make sense. And it's interesting to look at how there's, it may be in the majority of cases, not that high level of intent to go around uh, intentional content management systems. There's really just uh, a desire for ease of use. And the online environment today is just set up in such a way that um, it's both an opportunity and a challenge that you can be proactive about it and have your content so easily accessed by the enthusiastic audience. Uh, but if you're not proactive about it, it becomes just a, a flood in a way. Yeah, that's that, that, that's definitely true. I think I think one of one of the things that we've learned about protecting content is you need to be proactive. You need to be protecting your content early and all of it, if possible, if you want to have the the best result. Um, one of the you know one of the sort of business challenges, I suppose in terms of taking on piracy is the fact that piracy has no restrictions. So, you know, if you go to a film piracy site, you'll, you may be able to find, you know, everything that you may want to be looking for. You may be able to find things that are on in the cinema or things that are, are, are licensed to some platforms, but not to all platforms. And I think this sort of, licensing restriction of the old model or this windowing restriction of the old model or this um, exclusivity drive that exists within SVOD is really played out to the advantage of piracy sites because they don't have that. I mean, you know, they're operating completely illegally, but they don't have any of those restrictions from commercial deals. And so as a consequence, going back to your initial point, for the user, it's about ease of use, ease of access, it's truly on demand and it's not based on on demand but from the content we we have at the um the, the beginning of your introduction you mentioned the music industry and i think it's one of the areas that the music industry has done incredibly incredibly well at which is blocking exclusives uh, you know when when the major record companies decided that they would not have exclusives on platforms everything would be across all platforms they they did a huge thing in fighting piracy because if you can get everything you want on Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer or whichever your music streaming platform is of choice, you know, unless your reason for piracy is is you don't like advertisements, you can't pay for it, or you yeah. want you want to own something physically in terms of a digital product, then there is no reason to pirate. And I think I think that's why the music industry has done done has done well in this area over the past few years well that's exactly where i wanted to take the conversation in that you've seen some responses from specifically from the film and tv industries 
to both this most this this latest wave and the piracy, the unlicensed use, that activity leading up to to the last few months. What have you seen in terms of industry response, and and what's been effective? What's maybe been less effective? Well, I th- I, I think um, I think again, it's a little too early to see with 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 coronavirus, with with COVID, because. There's so many issues that businesses are trying to face and trying to encounter and trying to overcome. There are so many, so many moving parts. It's moving so quickly that, you know, protecting your content online may not be the, the first thing that you do. But I think what what's interesting is when you look at some of the companies, NBC Universal, for example, have started streaming their films or some of their film titles online as opposed to, you know, delaying delaying the releases for cinemas or, or waiting on cinemas to reopen before they continue with that campaign. So um, you can go online and stream, you can you pay your money and you can watch your film from home. And I think, you know, it's an inevitable and quite intelligent business move. I think it, it probably will be another hammer blow to the cinemas because, you know, if you're closed and the future's uncertain. And also when you do open, you don't know how the public are gonna really feel about going into an air-conditioned cinema for two hours. So to have the the window, you know, that that windowing taken away from you essentially, where you would make your money, it's usually a 90-day theatrical window. I think I think that's that's you know gonna be very, very challenging for some of the bigger cinema groups. And no doubt their share prices are tumbling daily and will continue to as, as the markets decline. But then, you know, if you look at someone like Curzon, who operate um, a different model where you can subscribe to Curzon and you can, as part of your membership, um, watch their latest cinemas online or at home, as well as going into the cinema, then I think they've taken a really more than insensible approach to to, to the way that um, people consume movies now. And I mean, they didn't do that as a, as a response to the pandemic. They did that as a smart forward thinking business um, move, you know, a, a few years ago, I think, as far as I'm aware. Um, but I think that kind of forward thinking idea will hold them in good, um, good stead, if that's the word, the correct word, will we'll, we'll do well for them as we sort of move through this situation. Because, you know, there's no indication that um, this is going to last six weeks and then we're all going to go back online. I, I saw that they reopened some of the Chinese cinemas on the 25th and then mm. the next day they closed a bunch more. So, you know, I think for cinemas, even when they reopen again, what does that mean? You know, are we? I mean, are we all going to, queue up and like go and watch the latest film they're probably not we'll probably wait a while you know there's there's huge knock-on effects for this um so yeah i think i think businesses that will probably do well would be the ones that take the threat of piracy seriously but also understand that this is about demand and this is about making your content available in the way that consumers want to consume it. And right now they are at home, probably, you know, bored um, and looking for things to do and watch. So the opportunity is, is, is great to, to, uh, to reach those, those, those consumers and to, to do things that 
give them the opportunity to to sort of consume your product or watch your product. But at the same time, you have to, you know, make sure that you're not leaving free versions of that all over the internet. It's interesting. You're you're kind of describing two cohorts of responses, one set being the immediate changes that happen in the wake of this shift in how everyone's consuming content, delays or adjustments, and then the other being really a new business model or new distribution model or maybe both. And it sounds like, uh, obviously, the latter type of work takes much more time and intention but it sounds like you may expect to see a bit more of that going forward, especially as you know the timeline for when do we get to a new normal is uh, conceivably pushed back and and pushed back. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not sure that I, I don't think there will be a back to normal. I mean, this this for me goes wider than than the conversation here. I, I think I think this this will be a before this event and then an after this event. Because I think there are so many things that will change from the way we work, the way we commute, the way we travel. And I think within that bucket, you can also put the way we consume entertainment and media. Um, I mean, there's no, you know, it's it's not anything new. Netflix has been hugely successful and, you know, Disney Plus, Plus has been hugely successful launching at this time as are other, you know, VOD streaming video on demand platforms. Um, but I think the normal is changing and maybe one of the lessons, which is going to be a very difficult one for film and TV is this, this exclusivity, um, window, because it's the one thing, you know, consistently whilst music piracy is still high, we consistently see, um, it drop in certain territories and, you know, it, it, it is a. It, I think the the, the non-exclusive thing has been a real key, um, a key thing in fighting piracy for that industry. So yeah. Well, that that was really where I wanted to leave this. I was curious about what you saw in the future, which is impossible to know on so many levels. But just based on the fact that you have such deep experience from multiple perspectives, when it comes to the audience shift, especially in music. Uh, and now we're seeing the beginnings of models changing in other types of entertainment. Um, uh, but I, I think I think you've you've summarized it. Um, you've summarized it there. Is there anything you would add to that list when it comes to the future of the model for distribution, for rights protection, really the whole interaction between content producers and the audiences that want to consume content. Is there anything else you see changing um, in the near and the mid future? Yeah, there is actually. There's something something that we've been monitoring and something that appears to be happening. Um, so you have to remember, there's nothing new in digital piracy. I mean, it started, you know, as far as I'm concerned, in in 1999 when when Napster, you know, first started to, to sort of. Mm. Um, exist and and creep into people's internet early internet usage so a whole generation have have come and gone you know since napster stopped doing that illegally and they're waking up to to they're waking up to piracy ironically you know it's like we think that 
the the kind of the younger generation who are 18, 19, 20 now have, have grown up with piracy. Actually, they haven't, often their parents did, but they haven't grown up with piracy. They've grown up with YouTube and they've grown up with everything being on demand and Netflix because their parents have been paying for it. What we're seeing is, um, again, anecdotally at this point, but we're seeing a younger generation discovering all this content that previously they thought they had to pay for and now they can discover it in a different way. So I, th I think it's I think it's changing in that generation that's always been used to it is now sort of understanding responsibilities of paying for direct debits and finding actually they don't need to because either they can share passwords significantly with their friends or they can access um, things via, via piracy. And then on the other end of things, which again is anecdotal, but you know, from, from conversations, I've um I've noticed that the older generation are going back to ownership again. So they're kind of, you know, may, maybe not for everything, but for things that they really love and nostalgic things, they want to own it. So it's about downloading that physical content, if not buying it, which is why in that in a small sector, perhaps we're seeing um, you know, albeit small, but a, a resurgence towards buying vinyl. There's definitely a kind of fear that what happens if the digital service gets taken away from you and I want to own this, you know, I don't know, Led Zeppelin back catalogue or Beatles back catalogue for music. So so we're kind of seeing we're seeing a, a change as generations as generations change, you know, their kind of place in society as they get more money or less money or more responsibilities. Um, so I, I don't think the, one of the consistent things about piracy that the, that we've noticed is that it's consistently changing. Um, that's probably the most consistent thing about piracy. It's always quite high, and it changes, and it 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 doesn't. It's never stood still. It's always adapted and developed with other technologies. The minute that you know streaming came around, well, piracy had been streaming. For, for quite a long time before that. It is at the cold face of technologies being delivered. So yeah, it's it's an interesting, it's gonna be an interesting time and an interesting challenge. And I think where where Muso likes to, to sort of place itself and where we are different is that we do recognize that whilst this audience is huge and audience is vast and you know there's significant problems with losses from piracy there is an enormous value that can be gained from understanding what this audience is doing and not just to validate whether your anti-piracy strategies are good or bad but also to understand what's popular what's in demand what what people perhaps should be making or should be buying or if you're you know if you're a film company or should be commissioning because you know piracy is at the forefront of consumption and demand and if you can't get something a film in your territory well you can on piracy and so you can see true real demand where there isn't um almost a platform bias or there isn't a um any barriers for people to be able to watch something or listen to something you know and so piracy data can teach us much about consumption popularity and demand um, but at the same time, you know, as, as rights holders, which I am one, we have to make sure that we have robust strategies in place to ensure that we are not leaving 
our content unprotected, or at the very minimum, we can we can say that we can reduce um, the distribution of our content illegally. So, yeah, I think the future is going to be very, 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 very interesting in this sector and this space. So, so strange to think of those those two things. On the one hand, piracy as a window into audience segmentation, piracy conceivably as a marketing and production tool or input. And then on the other hand, piracy is something that spans generations. Even to me, it feels like uh, somehow it, it, it feels novel, but actually it's now an environment that contains a, a whole set of different ages with different experiences and different outlooks on the world, different expectations for their content and how to consume that content. Yeah, yeah, com- completely, com- completely and totally. You know, even if you look at UGC sites, no, I won't mention any specific ones where, you know, my, I've got a nine-year-old son and he's forever watching UGC sites online and watching content there. And whilst they do an incredible job at trying to, you know, remove or monetize that content and they are very very good at it, it, it it's ultimately full of content that's not necessarily being monetized or, or necessarily li- licensed and th- my my son has no idea of what he's watching and so you know this this um this generational thing that, that we, we're talking about is, is 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 apparent and you know it goes it goes across the board of the internet as a whole as well people are growing up with the internet in their lives at very different stages. And I think the same is very true for piracy. Well, uh, listen, I'm mindful of your time. Uh, I think this has been a very interesting look into some of the trends you've seen uh, both now and over the long term. And, uh, and I just wanted to thank you for the discussion and for spending a bit of time on it today. Yep. Thank, thank, thanks, Max. I think the where, where the, it's going to become really interesting and we can go into much more detail about the data is when we release the March data because the March data will right. show us you know, what happened in Italy. Italy went into lockdown around the 24th, I think, 25th of, of the month um, in a small way and it, it sort of grew out from there. But March has been the point where the UK, Spain, Germany to a degree, France, Italy, the USA has sort of followed followed the Chinese. Um, and I think when we start to analyze that data, you know, perhaps we'll, we'll connect again next month and, and have a deep dive into that. Well, that, that sounds like the perfect uh, place to pick this up. Thanks to everyone who's had a listen today, and I hope it's been useful and interesting for you as well. You can visit us at muso.com if you have any questions. I'm max.marcus at muso.com. We're, we're always glad to connect and chat anti-piracy and audience activity online. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Stay safe.